last week we talked about Joshua 1 entering into the land, and we're going to preach about the second part of that today. That is a book that follows the scripture. The scripture we're looking at is Joshua 1, 9 through 18. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions. For within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest, and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over, armed before your brothers, and shall help them. Until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it. The land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, all that you have commanded us we will do. And wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him, shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. The word of the Lord. It stands 246 feet long in a flying V. At its apex, it's 10.1 feet high. At the bottom, all the way at the edge, it's 8 inches high. It was built of stone that was found in Bangalore, India. Black, marble, granite. And it was designed with the stone so you would be able to see the names, but you would also be able to see your reflection. A way to look forward and a way to look back. One tip of this memorial is pointed toward the Washington Monument, and the other toward the Lincoln Memorial. I'm speaking, of course, of the Vietnam Veterans Memorial in Washington, D.C. Maybe you've seen it before where you can walk down and you can see the names arranged in chronological order, excuse me, alphabetical order. There's no rank, no commendations, just name after name after name. There are 58,272 names on that wall. And the goal of this wall was to provide maybe some sense of healing, some sense of closure to one of the most difficult times in our country's history, a chance that these names and these people would finally have rest. And so they do, but not all of them. See, there's 58,272 names, but 1,200 of those are missing in action, POWs. See, on every single name that is confirmed dead, there is a diamond. But on these approximately 1,200 names, there is a cross. If the person is finally found, they will put a circle around the cross which unfortunately has never happened. But if confirmed dead, they will take a diamond and they will put it uh, where the cross is so people will know that he, they have been found. See, the motto of the military is never leave a man behind. And even now, there are people who have devoted their entire lives going to try to find these people that perhaps are living, even their remains left 
in a country that they may come home and have rest. Never leave a man behind. We understand this principle, don't we? That's why the captain goes down with the ship. That's why a man remains with his son, just as it was recently reported when they were being washed out to sea so that he would not leave him. It's the question in Joshua, isn't it? Never leave a man behind. See, there's this group, this half-tribe of uh, Manasseh, these other two uh, tribes here, that have received their inheritance on the east of the Jordan. But now it's time for everyone else to cross, to go into the Jordan. And so the question is, will these people abandon us? Will they keep to their inheritance and forget us? It's the question in Joshua. But I want to suggest to you that it's the question for us. See, we're a diverse body. We who worship Christ. There's black, there's white, there's young, there's old, there's rich, there's poor. And though we are in the United States, there are over 2 billion people that claim Christ as their Lord and Savior. And over 2 billion of all these people, many of them are suffering and hurting. And the question is, how are we supposed to respond to the international church? What is a part that we are to play with our brothers and sisters all around the world? To answer that question, we may only look to Jesus Christ. Because it was Christ who did not leave us behind. And since Christ did not quit on us, we will not quit on our brothers and sisters all around the world until we all come home. We're going to look at this story here in Joshua, and we are going to take away three specific truths. Number one, you and I must recognize that we are part of a bigger family. Part of a bigger family. Number two, we must recognize that we are part of a bigger mission. And then finally, number three, we must recognize that we have a bigger responsibility. Since Christ did not quit on us, we will not quit on our brothers and sisters until we all come home. Well, let's look at this first point, recognizing a bigger family. I want to give a little recap if you were here last week. Uh, we talked about the fact that God chose a people. Remember Abraham, 600 years before this is happening? I will turn you into a great nation, and you will be my people, and I will be your God. I will be in your presence and in your midst, and I will bless you. And I will make you into a great nation, and I will lead you to a place of rest. And so the Bible recounts through Genesis and Exodus, God calling forth the people and freeing them, remember, 600,000 of them, out of the hand of Pharaoh in Egypt, bringing them across the Red Sea, across the desert, to this place called Kadesh Barnea, where they could see the Promised Land. And lo and behold, Moses sends out the spies, remember them? Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, to go scout the land. And they came back. And there was division. <clears throat> Joshua and Caleb said, The land is rich and exceedingly prosperous. God has given it to us. Let us go and possess it. But the other ten said, It's filled with giants. And if we dare cross into that land, we will surely be slaughtered. And the people murmured and said, We should go back to Egypt. God was angered and enraged when the people did not trust Him. And so He said that not one of you here, except for Joshua and Caleb, will see this land that I have promised you. So lo and behold, they're back after 40 years, and it's time now to cross into the water. Here they are 40 years later to cross through the water to the land. 
And so Moses turns to these people, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. If you'll remember, if you have read the scriptures, that they were supposed to cross the Jordan to possess this land, but God had actually given them all the land. And so these people, the Reubenites, Gadites, and half-tribe of Manasseh, looked at this land on this side of the Jordan and said, it's magnificent, it's rich, it's wonderful. We should go ahead and stay here. Moses, give us this land. But Moses' anger burned against them. And he said, don't you realize what happened the last time you refused to enter into the land? How can you do this? You're going to kill us all by asking for this. But these tribes said, we will leave our people here, our, uh, our children and our wives, but we will go with you, before you, and we will fight for you until you have received uh, the freedom and the promise of that land, and then we will come back. And so God heard this and said to Moses, it is good, let it be so. And so now they're here. Can you imagine the biggest battle of your life? And Moses turns to them, and he says, the Lord your God has provided you a place of rest, but you must come before us as he promised. You must fight for us until the end, until we have rest, and then you may go back. See, the question is, will they rebel? Will they, when they face what's going to happen, whatever's on the other side of that Jordan, will they say, wait a second, we have great land here. We can stay here. We can, our, our families are here. Our livestock is here. Or will they go and keep their promise? See, Moses knows that if they face, if they turn back, if they don't go across, the people's courage will melt. You know, it's hard to move forward into difficult circumstances, isn't it? It's even harder when a part of you turns and walks away. And your courage melts because they're not with you. And so this is the question, will we go together? Moses asked it, and they answered, verse 16. And they answered Joshua, all that you have commanded us we will do. And wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all these things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Think about these men that have their families, their livestock, the thing that they very much wanted and received the land of promise right here. And yet they respond this way. Why? I think as they looked at the faces of the other tribes of Israel, they recognized one fact that we are a family. These are my brothers and sisters. And we are not able to enjoy our inheritance when our brothers have not enjoyed them as well. And so they left all. They left their wives, they left their children, they left their livestock, and they went into the land and fought with their brothers until there was rest. I think of this story, and I think about the world today. You know, in many ways, we, as the United States Church, experience the blessings of faith and salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. The fact that we're meeting together right now and able to talk about the gospel is something that so many people around the world crave but don't have. Even right now, there are people meeting secretly, quietly in the underground church in small houses, out in the woods, because they will be arrested if they're found. We're able to share our faith with our friends, with our neighbors, with our family. We're able to raise our children to know the gospel 
We're able to have a Bible in our house. We're even able to vote for believers in public office to try to bring them into public office. But the international church is in a different situation. Often completely unaddressed in the West is the fact that the Christians, the Christians are the largest persecuted minority in the world. According to the Pew Research Center, nearly 75% of the world's population lives in areas with severe religious restrictions. Last century, there were more martyrs, uh, Christians killed for their faith than the previous 19 centuries combined. And in fact, martyrs of last year doubled from the number of martyrs that were killed the year before. We live in a dangerous time, my friends. There are over 50 different countries where it is a very, very dangerous thing to be a Christian. Whether it be Somalia, or Syria, or Iraq, or Afghanistan, or Maldives, or Pakistan, or Iran, or Yemen. Right now, there are 50 to 70,000 Christians living in concentration-style camps in North Korea simply because they're believers. There are repeated instances in India where churches are being burned, pastors are being beaten, and Christians are being forced to flee their villages from the Hindu extremists who are going after them. And indeed, uh, extremist Islam is creating a almost uh, devastating, uh, uh, I don't even know how to put it, suffering for Christians around the world. Atrocities by jihadist rebels have reached sensational new levels. There are reports now that Christians are either uh, being forced to convert to, uh, to Islam, and if they don't, they're being killed. And their blood is being sold on the open market. Because it's believed that if someone washes their hands in it, it will atone for their sins. It's a dangerous thing, my friends, to be a Christian around the world. It was Rand Paul in the United States Senate that spoke up. And he said, from Boston to Zanzibar, there's a worldwide war on Christianity, and the U.S. is largely silent. The U.S. is not speaking. Indeed, a delegate in the House of Commons in Parliament compared what's going on with Christians to Kristallnacht in Nazi, in Nazi Germany, when they went and they massacred Jews and other people who were against the regime. See, the question we have to ask ourselves is the same one that these people on the other side of the Jordan have to ask themselves. What will we do with this great gift we have, freedom, to be Christians? How will we respond? To be sure we're not home yet, but we experience the blessings of faith in this country. Will we continue to see ourselves as one body, one family? Can we simply stay behind? and not recognize the pain and suffering of our brothers and sisters around the world. It was Pastor Martin Niemöller, who was a German pastor, and as he observed what was going on in Nazi Germany, he criticized the German intellectuals, even some of the German church for their cowardice. This is what he said, even about himself. First, the Nazis came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the communists, and I did not speak out because I was not a communist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. 
If you are a Christian, my friends, we are one family under Christ. Brother and sister, whether from Nepal or the United States or Kenya or Somalia. The average person out there, we think of Christians. You know, it's easy, uh, it's very difficult to storm the U.S. Embassy. There's a lot of anger at the West, but it's a lot easier to storm the village. The average believer, it's a woman in the Congo with their five children. It's a laborer in Pakistan. These are simple people like you and me. And so we must acknowledge the blessings that God has given us, but we must also realize the realities. We must decide not to turn our back on our brothers and sisters, but we must read and we must learn about them. There's a tremendous amount of resources available. And we have to make a decision, Christians, that this is not only our home. We must expand our family. We must put faces on these facts. We must recognize that these are our brothers and sisters. And so we must make a decision to reserve a place in our hearts for those of us who are suffering. We're not all home yet. We may be further along, but we're not there. We must recognize a greater family, but we must also recognize a greater mission. Listen to what Joshua said. Your wives, this is verse 14, your little ones and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all men of valor shall pass armed before your brothers and shall help them. And why do you think he said to pass over and you shall fight before your brothers? Think of what that meant to them. They realized they'd already been given their land. God gave it to them. And yet here they were, stepping in harm's way, in the front to fight for the freedom of their brothers. Think of how that encouraged them. How it incited them to walk in God's ways, to take hold of the promises. God has called His people to walk before those. And so we must do so as well. The question is, what is it that we're fighting for? You know, we see here that God has called these people to take the land. But what is this land anyways? Exodus 3.8 says that God has come to deliver the Israelites out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them into a land, a good and broad land, flowing with milk and honey. This land was supposed to be a place where we would experience the blessings of the fullness of the bounty of God. It was to be a place of prosperity, not just financial, but prosperity of the heart, fullness of life. We also see in Deuteronomy 12.10, but you will cross the Jordan and settle in the land the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance, and He will give you rest from all your enemies around you, so that you will live in safety. The land was a place of rest. You know good rest, have you ever experienced it when you come home and you're home and you're able to enjoy the shalom of rest. This land was a place of rest from our enemies. Finally, Deuteronomy 12, 11, then to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for His name. There you are to bring everything I commanded you. See, this is the place where God would dwell. It would be flowing with milk and honey because God would be there. There would be rest from the enemies because God would watch over it. It would be a place of Sabbath. Have you ever wondered, God, you know, He creates the universe, He creates the world and everything, and on the seventh day, He rested? How did He do that? I mean, was God actually tired? 
No, this is a different kind of rest. It's a rest of knowing that all is completed and good. See, that's what's going on. God is saying, I want to give you that, people. Israelites, I want to bring you to a place of rest. Where there's no longer a yearning in your heart for something else. There's no longer pain and suffering. There's no longer separation between me and you. I want to bring you Sabbath. I want to bring you rest. So what does that mean for us today? We're not called to go in to inherit a land to drive and dispossess people out of it. How are we to go before our brothers and sisters in the world today? The answer is, we have discovered that the Sabbath is not a place, but it's a person. See, we don't go to enter the rest. The rest comes to enter us. Hebrews 4 put it this way, For good news came to us, just as it did to them back then. But the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. But we, who have believed, enter that rest. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that none may fall by the same sort of obedience. See, there is a rest for the people of God. But right now it's not physical. Right now it's not out there. Right now it's in here. The greatest war, my friends, is the war that's inside. It's a war with ourselves. It's a war with God. Hatred and distrust and bitterness, it's not out there, it's in here, isn't it? All of the problems of mankind are in the heart of man. But the war that is being fought, the battle that is going forward, is for man to take a heart that is dead and make it alive. God did not come to make bad people good, He came to make dead people live. And so the message of the gospel is the weapon, not of war, but of peace, that is going out into the world. That as it is preached, people are turned from enemies of God into sons and daughters. They're able to experience a rest in their heart. Peace with God, peace with themselves, even peace with others. You know, how is it that someone can stand before a firing squad in Somalia and say, I forgive you? Where does that courage come from? It comes from peace from the inside out. Christ's mission for us, my friends, is a mission of love. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you until the ends of the earth. See, the gospel is going out throughout the world and capturing the human heart. We lament for our brothers and sisters who are experiencing the physical persecution. But we not only remember them, we remember their leaders, those who are sharing the gospel. You know, their pastors, uh, indigenous and other people that go into different parts of the world to preach Christ. They have received the blessings, a heart, a peace, presence with them, and yet they stay. Why? Because they understand there's a greater mission than simply themselves. And so very quietly, maybe even very deliberately, they share scripture. 
They hold out the word of life, and people hear, and they believe. And the dead are brought alive. It's interesting, isn't this Resurrection Sunday? Where we lift up Christ who died and rose again. Christ has come into the world that the same might happen for us. And yet in India, there are 50,000 villages where no one has ever heard the word of Jesus Christ before. See, we discover that in order to honor our brothers and sisters, we must fight for what they fight for. The mission they have is the mission that we have, to go and make disciples. Go and make dead people alive by preaching and telling others the good news of the gospel. So we must change our paradigm, my friends. We must recognize not only that who is my brother and sister, but I have a responsibility. I have a mission that's greater than simply to enjoy my life here. I am part of this wonderful, wonderful army of God going to bring the good news. I don't know if you like uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Recently saw the second one, uh, but the first one, The Hobbit, which I think was the best one. If you remember the story, Gandalf goes and he finds this guy, Bilbo Baggins, you know? And he's got all these dwarves that have come around. They want to take back their land. And he's supposed to be the burglar. For some reason, Gandalf thinks he's the guy who's going to make it happen. And he doesn't know anything about burglary. Okay, but they get caught, and they're down the, the mountain with the trolls or with the goblins. And it's there where Bilbo finds the ring, right? Which supposedly makes him invincible. He can be invisible. He can go anywhere he wants. He can go back home, in fact. And as he escapes in a different way, he hears the dwarves talking. They're talking, the head one, uh, Oakenshield. He says he's gone, he's left us, he's never been with us from the beginning. And it's right then where Bilbo chooses to reveal himself. Where did you come from, they ask. Gandalf says, well, what, what does it matter? He's back. Thorn Oakenshield, it matters. I want to know, why did you come back? Bilbo Baggins responds, look, I know you doubt me. I know you always have, and you're right. I often think of Bag End. I miss my books, and my armchair, and my garden. See, that's where I belong. That's home. But that's why I came back. Because you don't have one. A home. It was taken from you, but I will help you take it back if I can. See, Bilbo looked at his life, and he looked at theirs, and he said, I'm going to stay. I want you to experience the rest that I have. There's so many things that compete for our attention, sometimes even become our obsession, our job, our possessions, our obligations. And some of those are very important. I'm not denigrating them. But Christ calls us to see life through the lens of the gospel. If you are a Christian, you have heard the very words of life and can have the rest in your heart that will ultimately extend to the world. But we must recognize that we are one big family. We must remember those who are suffering. And we must reprioritize my job, my possessions. I must open my hand to them. I must remember what really is worth dying for. Because we must not leave a man or a woman behind. You know, we think of the persecuted church. 
We think of overseas. But the truth of the matter is the people to our right and to our left, who work in the cubicle across the hall, who live in the home across the street, may not know rest at all. Without Jesus Christ, there is no rest. But he says, come unto me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me, and you will find rest for your soul. We honor our brothers and sisters around the world. We honor the one who has given us rest when we go into the world. And we seek to be a witness for Jesus Christ. You know, why are we around anyways? Why are we still here? Christ is victorious, is he not? Has he not defeated Satan? Has he not been raised from the grave? Why isn't life all done and we've moved on to phase two? The answer is simple. God has left us here that we might be a witness to the remnant of his children that he is not yet called. We have a mission, my friends, a greater mission than simply our lives, than even this church. It's for the world. Christ did not quit on us, and we will not quit on our brothers and sisters until we all come home. If we recognize a greater family, if we recognize a greater mission, we must recognize a greater responsibility. We are responsible for our brother and sister, right? Remember Cain and Abel, who is my brother? But how do we engage with them? It seems so difficult. They're just names. They're not even faces. We don't even know what's going on. A lot of this persecution is silent. There are ways to engage, and this is one of them. In a small and simple way, we can make a difference around the world. I have here, uh, this is a stamp. One of the most powerful things in the world. It's a global forever stamp. Dollar and ten cents at the post office. We actually have 30 over there. See, one of the biggest challenges is that these things that happen, this persecution, it happens in the darkness, right? Nobody knows what we're doing. And so these prisoners who are locked away aren't sure if anyone even knows where they are. It's a wonderful ministry. It's called Voice of the Martyrs. And what these people do is they go around and they find people who are, have been imprisoned for the gospel. And they bring them to light. It's people like this one right here. Tohar Hyredrev from Uzbekistan. Who's languishing in prison. It's like Davud Alijani here from Iran. It's like Mustafa Mohammed right here. In the Islamic Republic Iraq. It's like Asia. It's name after name after name, face to face, face. And the prisoners come to them and say, their, their guards say, no one's remembered you. But we have the opportunity. We know their addresses. We know where they're held. We even know the email addresses of the countries of the consulates in which these people uh, are associated with. And we have the opportunity to respond. Just a little while, we're going to have an opportunity to purchase some of those stamps. If you are interested. See, here's what happens. It's time and time again. When all of a sudden, people hear about this particular person, they start writing letters to the jail. Please release my friend. He's only in jail for being a Christian. Let him go. And what happens is the mail comes. And the, and the guards literally come to the prisoner and says, What have you done? Why are all these people writing about you? What's going on? And the prisoners say, it's like water on parched ground. I'm not forgotten. 
People care about you. They pray for you. We've got to make a difference, my friends. We've got to get involved. In our Connect card, if you want to have the opportunity to write a letter on behalf of a prisoner, simply write your name down, an email address. You'll receive an email that will point you to a specific person. And you can literally write your letter and it will translate into that particular language. And you simply put it in the address, you put the stamp on, you send it. And hope goes out. We may not be able to go to Zanzibar or Sudan or Somalia, but our prayers can go and our voice can go, for the pen is mightier in the end than the sword. We must speak for them, but we must also speak to our brothers who do not know the gospel. We must honor what Christ has done. You know, it's very interesting. What's the book of Joshua about in the end? It's really about Joshua. It's interesting, Joshua 1.17, Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. You wouldn't see this, but in the Hebrew there's a touch of irony. Because we know that after Joshua, what will happen to the Israelite people should probably more be translated this. Only the Lord your God will be with you, Joshua, as he was with Moses. See, truth be told, Joshua was faithful throughout all the days. He was the one that led them. Not one good word of all the promises faltered in the days of Joshua. But we will falter without our own leader, won't we? Joshua, in Hebrew, is Yeshua, which we call Jesus, Savior. We will fail, my friends, on our own efforts. But there is one who came for us, isn't there? One who could not bear that we languished in the prison of sin under our prison guard, Satan. It was not enough for Christ that he was in heaven, in his home, in his glory, surrounded by the angels. We didn't have a home. We were homeless, and so he came. He came across the universe, across the galaxy, taking on flesh. He suffered as a poor man. He brought the word of hope, and people came alive. There's no greater love than he who gives up his life for his friends. And so Christ came, came for you and me when no one else would. He defeated his enemies on the cross, and he rose again. And he says to us, Behold, I go to prepare a place for you, and I will come to bring you where I am. That one day the anger and sorrow of this world will pass away. One day we will experience in the world the shalom and the rest that God has planned. But we have the opportunity right now to experience it, because Christ in us is the hope of glory. And so when you feel lost and alone, when you feel that no one has come for you, remember Christ who gave up his life that you may have life. When you're scared and when you don't know what to say, when you're talking to a friend about Christ and that opportunity presents itself, remember Christ. He will give you the strength and the love. And when you feel like you can't make a difference with all of our brothers and sisters around the world who are being persecuted, remember Christ. He is there. He will lead his people to rest. Only let us decide that we will go forward with our brother and sister. 
We're not home yet, so don't consider this your home. But there remains the Sabbath rest for the people of God. Since Christ did not quit on us, we will not quit on our brothers and sisters until we all come home. You know, somebody in our congregation needs to own this. Somebody needs to be our conscience to help push this forward so we don't forget. So we do write the letters. So we do keep them in the forefront. And whoever that person is, man or female, I want to see you after this service. But I encourage you, write your name down. I want to send a letter. Go grab a stand. They're a buck ten cents. Write a letter. Send it off. Be a part of what's going around the world. We won't quit because Christ didn't quit on us. Let's pray. When no one was left to come for us, Jesus, you came. You came into the prison of our sin, into the darkness of this world, and you found us, and you delivered us in your gospel. What can we say? What can we do? All we can do is stand, Lord, in your strength. We can proclaim what you've done for us. We can move forward as a family. All around the world, one people on journey to this place that you called us to be. Lord, help us to get a vision bigger than ourselves, bigger than even this church. Help it to be as big as your heart for the world. All of this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.